Welcome to the Leaders in Payments podcast, where we talk to C-level leaders from across the payments landscape. We'll be discussing the products and services that impact the payment space today, as well as trends and predictions for the future of payments. We will also hear stories from our guests about their journeys to the top. Part of Ripple's founding idea was actually to democratize financial services. Our founder, Chris Larson, sometimes talks about making globalization work for everyone, completing globalization. So what we're doing from a business standpoint is improving both individual and household economics through things like faster, cheaper, more reliable remittances. But we're also doing what we can through philanthropic funding, partnerships with nonprofits, central banks, universities, and even the Vatican. That was Ken Weber, head of Ripple Impact, vice president of social impact and sustainability. And I'm your host, Greg Myers. This is our third episode in Financial Inclusion Month. Every year, we dedicate one month to financial inclusion. My goal is to highlight and bring awareness to what the payments and or fintech industry does today to help with this global challenge of financial inclusion and to discuss what more we can do. Ripple is fundamentally a fintech that uses new innovative technologies such as blockchain and crypto to improve financial services. They are focused on real-world use cases that create value for businesses, for example, cross-border payments. Ripple Impact has four pillars. One, engaging their employees to get involved in social and environmental impact areas. Two, the application of financial technology to accelerate and expand financial inclusion. Three, a focus on sustainability and climate. And four, Ripple Impact is responsible for their research and innovation programs. Ken provides an in-depth explanation about why Ripple believes there are pathways into formal financial services for the unbanked globally that are enabled by blockchain and cryptocurrency. Ken and I go on to discuss the University Blockchain Research Initiative, Ripple's work around sustainability and carbon markets, and finally, how exciting it is to think about how new or newer technologies like blockchain and crypto can help solve big global challenges like financial inclusion. Before we dive into the episode, I want to give a special thanks to The Clearinghouse for sponsoring Financial Inclusion Month. To learn more about The Clearinghouse, just visit www.theclearinghouse.org. We've got a great episode ahead, so let's get started. Hi, Ken. Welcome to this special series of the Leaders in Payments podcast focused on financial inclusion. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me, Greg. Tell our audience a little bit about yourself, maybe where you grew up, where you went to school, where you currently live, just a few things like that. Sure. I grew up in Toronto, Canada, mostly. My parents are both teachers, social workers there. I currently live in the Pacific Northwest in the United States. My home office for Ripple is in San Francisco. I did an undergraduate degree in English literature and a graduate degree in journalism and telecommunications at Indiana University in Bloomington, Indiana. And here we are. Awesome. Well, you mentioned the name of the company, Ripple. So tell the audience what Ripple does. So Ripple is fundamentally a fintech. We use innovative new technologies to improve financial services. We're focused on real-world use cases that create value for businesses, things like cross-border payments, remittances, the way corporations manage and move their money around globally. We utilize blockchain technology in a lot of what we do. The open source blockchain platform that we prefer is the XRP ledger. Many advantages there. And we sometimes utilize cryptocurrency in our products and services, and the preferred crypto is XRP. Okay. And what is your role there? And 
How did you end up leading social impact and sustainability there? So my role is that I lead what we affectionately call Ripple Impact. It was once called Ripple for Good. It encompasses four areas of focus. First and foremost, we do what we can to engage our employees in getting involved in social and environmental impact. That could be at the community level where our employees live and work, but we're also putting in front of them generous donation matching, lots of opportunities to volunteer, and we try to put cause-related content in front of employees, both live and virtually, around the big global issues and the issues that we care about as a company. The second pillar is around the application of financial technology to accelerate and expand financial inclusion globally, and I can say more about that later. The third pillar that we focus on is sustainability and climate. We are a company that cares very much about the fight to limit climate change, to mitigate climate change. It's one of the big issues of the day. And finally, Ripple Impact is responsible for our research and innovation programs. And mostly those are encompassed in something called UBRI, which stands for the University Blockchain Research Initiative. And that is a network of some 50 universities globally, business schools, engineering schools, law schools, all of whom are creating courses and doing technology development innovation around blockchain and crypto and fintech in general. And how did you end up in this leadership role of Ripple Impact? I've been working at the intersection of tech and innovation and social and environmental impact for most of my career. I was lucky enough to know some of the Ripple founders and builders, and they asked me to come and work with other Ripplers on setting up this university research and innovation network. And over the course of working on that for about a year, I became involved in some of the more traditional sort of corporate philanthropic activities. And about five years ago, very early for a company of Ripple's size and stage, we decided to formalize Ripple's focus on impact and to create a team internally that worked on these three or four areas of focus. And today we're going to focus on one of those pillars that you mentioned. Obviously, that's financial inclusion. So how does financial inclusion fit into what the company is doing? So it's very central to what we do. Part of Ripple's founding idea was actually to democratize financial services. Our founder, Chris Larson, sometimes talks about making globalization work for everyone, completing globalization. So what we're doing from a business standpoint is improving both individual and household economics through things like faster, cheaper, more reliable remittances. But we're also doing what we can through philanthropic funding, and partnerships with nonprofits, central banks, universities, and even the Vatican. Generally, partners who are interested in finally moving the needle on financial inclusion with big, bold applications of fintech. This stuff is hugely important to our founder, Chris Larson, as mentioned, but it's also important to our board, our CEO, Brad Garlinghouse, and the entire leadership team. And we have a great swell of grassroots support within the rank and file of Ripple employees, many of whom are actively involved in this work. From our point of view, there are nearly 4 billion adults who are either underbanked, including hundreds of millions of migrant workers, or entirely unbanked, including many who are temporarily unbanked because of conflicts or climate change. We're realistic about the role of fintech and the role of one fintech in turning the tide on such a persistent and sizable problem like financial exclusion. But we believe that for the people in the middle, the bankable adults in the middle, there's a lot that can be done to improve their 
livelihoods and their participation in the formal financial system. And for the top quarter or third, if you will, of the one and a half to 1.7 billion who are considered unbanked, we think that there are pathways into formal financial services, many of which are enabled by blockchain and cryptocurrency. It sounds like the whole financial inclusion within the company is kind of built into the culture. It really is. One of the ways that Ripple's impact work is different from some of our peer companies in the crypto space is that we don't have a separate standalone foundation that is responsible for promoting the protocol and the products and services associated with the business. We are a team that is small and inside the company. We're integrated into everything that the company does. And literally everyone within the company is a collaborator and is welcome to participate and contribute to the impact work that we're doing. There are, of course, independent foundations that champion the XRP ledger and XRP, the development community full of engineers and entrepreneurs who are using XRP ledger to build their businesses and products and services. But we're very much focused on how we can leverage and extend Ripple's products and services and how we can further apply philanthropic resources and talent and time, subject matter expertise and passion to these use cases through our employees. We also have sort of an ecosystem worldview. XRP Ledger is our preferred blockchain and XRP is our preferred cryptocurrency. But we realize that this is a multi-chain world. There will be more than one blockchain that succeeds and that needs to succeed to build out a fully robust global blockchain and crypto ecosystem. We believe collaboration is necessary and good, particularly as you go after use cases that impact hundreds of millions or even billions of people. You've mentioned crypto and blockchain a couple of times, and then you've also talked about there's a whole ecosystem or a whole population of unbanked. So how does crypto and blockchain, how would it bring those unbanked into the financial system? It's a great question. And the question of the day, particularly as we move from the very early stages of this, where there's a lot of hype and concepts and promise, arguably over-promising, as we move into actually deploying and testing and evaluating which of these financial technologies can actually help to solve problems. Blockchain and crypto's impact on financial services for both rich and poor, for both banked and unbanked, can be seen a little bit like the internet or the advent of cell phone technology. In many contexts, it's a kind of leapfrog innovation. The availability of wireless connectivity and smartphones puts financial services in nearly everyone's hands. And this is why you saw some of the first innovations in digital financial services for the poor coming through telcos and traditional providers. This is especially important for remote and last mile bankable customers. Blockchain and crypto bring competition. They've been very disruptive to large financial institutions. By the way, for whom serving the poor and the unbanked was never really justifiable from a profit-making standpoint. So now we have challenger banks, we have app banks, we have central bank-led blockchain and crypto projects, and many of those are anchored around principles of financial inclusion, participation, and equity. There are a number of neobanks, if you will, or PSPs on RippleNet that are really improving the accessibility, the speed, and the efficiency and the cost efficiency of remittances. Companies like Novati, FlashFX, iRemit are really perfecting this idea that cross-border payments, sending income or earnings from one place to another, that that can happen reliably, securely, very quickly, 
and at an affordable cost that doesn't take a significant chunk out of those earnings. Blockchain and crypto solutions are collapsing those cost structures and disintermediating middlemen or middle actors across a number of use cases. As I mentioned, central banks are also starting to think about how things like government and civil society services can be better enabled with blockchain. And then connecting those services to things like secure self-sovereign ID, which then potentially can be linked to a person's financial dealings so that if you're a small business owner or a farmer or a head of household in an emerging market where there isn't the maturity of the financial sector or of infrastructure, now there's a record of your financial transactions, which you, by the way, control. It's on a public-private ledger. But if you want to share it with a financial services provider, it could better enable that service provider to accurately assess you as credit risk. And generally, this leads to fairer and lower prices for things like credit and loans and other financial services. Our partnership with Mercy Corps Ventures, for example, has yielded a number of really promising use cases and frontier market startups that are going after financial inclusion using, to some degree, blockchain, crypto, decentralized finance. The Kiva protocol is an interesting use case that was tried in Sierra Leone, which combined both the idea of a government ID, a digital government ID, with the idea of giving folks a record of their financial transactions and their financial lives. Through Mercy Corps Ventures, we're part of an investment in a company called Goldfinch, which is doing crypto-backed lending to small businesses with pooled capital. That's a very interesting and very successful and fast-growing segment. There are also companies that are using blockchain and crypto to pay part-time workers or gig workers in emerging markets for part-time work as they go so that they don't have to wait till the end of a day or a week or a pay period to receive that money. And we're also involved in a number of projects that are getting at the problem of those who are temporarily unbanked. Could be a broken government, could be money that is highly inflationary or broken itself, as in Venezuela. Obviously, we're also dealing with refugees in a number of places around the world, food insecurity, the use of digital wallets, crypto to cash programs. Those are starting to become really interesting use cases as well. Sounds like there are a lot of use cases for crypto and blockchain. I think one of the interesting things to me and kind of listening to your answer there is we often think about financial inclusion and the first thing people think of is getting the unbanked access to a bank account. That's obviously important, but it doesn't necessarily have to be the solution. But I think what was interesting to me is a lot of what you said was crypto and blockchain can help reduce the cost of these services. And I think what often happens to the underbanked and underserved and unbanked is they end up paying these huge fees or end up with predatory lenders because they need money now to pay bills. And it's just that whole process of not only are they underserved in a lot of ways to begin with, they also end up paying a lot more than everyone else pays for certain financial services, which is a double whammy. You're absolutely right. Being underserved and overpriced is a pretty common plight for someone on the edge of the formal financial system. And if you're a woman who owns a business or runs a farm or is a head of household, there's additional exclusion and additional overpricing happening there as well. So these technologies are not going to solve all of those problems, but in certain market contexts and in certain cultural contexts, they are at a minimum disruptive to the status quo. And on the other end of the spectrum, they're potentially 
scalable solutions that can be sustainable from a business standpoint, that'll really start to change the plight of both individuals and communities globally. Yeah. And you mentioned earlier the UBRI initiatives. I think that stands for University Blockchain Research Initiative. So can you share more about that and how your work with universities contribute to financial inclusion? Sure. In a general sense, that network of nearly 50 universities, you know, is full of faculty and grad students and undergrads and blockchain clubs. And as they look across the spectrum of use cases that these technologies can be applied to, many of them are generationally and from a value standpoint compelled and gravitate towards use cases that are helpful to people and or the planet. And so a healthy proportion of all the work that's going on across courses and research projects and technology development projects at these universities, there is a significant portion that is focused on financial inclusion, both in rich countries and in so-called poor countries. And increasingly, we're seeing a lot of engagement around climate, tech, and carbon markets. Specifically, we have a couple of partnerships that I'd love to highlight on this. One is the work we're doing with UC Berkeley, where we've established, along with other partners, the Lab for Inclusive Fintech. And Couple of things that are unique about Lyft. Lyft is only focused on the applications of financial technology for financial inclusion. In other words, they're not generally looking at sort of tech for good. They're looking specifically at blockchain, crypto, and adjacent technologies and how they can help address financial inclusion. They also are taking a RCT or a real world in the field rigorous kind of research approach to this. So they're deploying faculty and students working with NGOs who are on the ground running these pilots, and they're doing rigorous measurement and evaluation. And then they're turning around and sharing that with the community and beyond. That's a very exciting sort of center of excellence and center of practice. And it's both yielding interesting results that everybody can learn from. It's also an exciting place for hopefully the next generation of financial technology professionals to sort of be honing their skills and getting ready to enter the fintech workforce. We're also very proud of our relationship with Morgan State University and the entire historically black college and universities community in the United States. We've made a couple of sizable grants to Morgan State, both to help them build up their fintech program at the business school there, but also to serve as a hub to other HBCUs as they ramp up teaching, learning, and research on their campuses around fintech. So it's a truly global initiative. It very much is. About half of Ubri is located in the United States, about half the university partners outside of the United States. And it really is a global focus. Ripple is a global company with the vast majority of its business outside of the United States. And so Ubri reflects that and it reflects our aspirations for how these technologies are applied. Yeah, that's a fascinating initiative. What are some of the other key initiatives that Ripple's working on? I'm very excited about the work we're doing in sustainability and carbon markets. We started with a net zero commitment that Ripple made in 2020 to be carbon net zero by 2030 or sooner. And we're on track to hit that by 2028, if not earlier. We also worked with the XRP community to ensure that the XRP ledger could become carbon neutral and We were part of making it the first major global blockchain to achieve carbon zero in 2020. We also are part of some crypto industry groups that are focused on 
reducing emissions from crypto and getting the use of renewable energy up as close to, if not to 100% as soon as possible. So we were part of the founding group that created the Crypto Climate Accord, which is now a coalition of more than 500 crypto companies, including mining companies that are committed to zero emissions and 100% renewable energy use. CCA has also been important in engaging with policymakers around crypto sustainability issues. And in partnership with the Alliance for Innovative Regulation, or AIR, we've done dozens of Hill briefings in the United States with hundreds of elected officials and staffers and others who are responsible for making policy on crypto and sustainability. We're also a founding partner of the World Economic Forum's Crypto Impact and Sustainability Accelerator, which is a really productive collaboration amongst crypto companies and non-crypto companies to advance the cause on crypto sustainability. And more recently, we've been informally working with other L1 blockchains, carbon marketplaces, and fintechs on how we can create the greatest potential for impact in the application of blockchain to fighting climate through carbon markets. That's a whole portfolio of activity that, if you go back a couple of years, didn't really exist for Ripple or for the crypto industry, but we've really fully embraced our role as an ecosystem actor, as an ecosystem builder and partner. We want to move away from sort of the negative stories around proof of work and the energy intensity of Bitcoin mining and into a more productive, forward-looking conversation about how blockchain can be a potentially catalytic technology in helping to scale carbon removal and carbon markets as we head towards 2050. Okay. And earlier you mentioned NGOs. So can you share details on your work with NGOs? Sure. On the financial inclusion front, we have what I would call big bet partnerships with Mercy Corps Ventures, with CARE, and with Kiva. On the climate and sustainability front, we're working with conservation organizations like Rocky Mountain Institute, which has a climate intelligence group, with the Energy Web Foundation, and with traditional environmental organizations like Greenpeace and Conservation International on blockchain and sustainability and climate change issues. And we've talked a lot about the industry and crypto and what do you think others can do that are in our space or in our ecosystem? How can they help the unbanked? That's a great question. I mean, for some, it's keep doing what you're doing. So Ripple is not the only blockchain company, crypto company that is focused on this. There are others like Celo, for example, that are very focused on the application of blockchain and crypto for financial inclusion. Central banks are coming to the table, and I would guess that a majority of those banks have in their public charters and their public purposes, making financial services as inclusive and as equitable as possible. And so they're starting to think about things like central bank digital currencies and basic financial services in ways that should be helpful to their populations, large proportions of which are either underbanked or unbanked. I would also encourage a greater degree of engagement with community leaders, educators. FinTech is not as diverse as populations that it purports to serve. And Ripple firmly believes that if you're going to serve everybody and solve problems for underbanked and unbanked, that leaders from those constituencies need to be involved in sort of ideating and designing and deploying products and services for end users. Certainly, there's a developer and an entrepreneur context. And the more developer education we can 
do around how these technologies can be applied to socially impactful use cases, the better. Universities are, of course, a fertile ground for developing a future fintech workforce that is not only going into Wall Street and the casino, hedge funds, investment speculation, all of that has a place, of course, and a role in the market. But for some of those students and faculty to be emerging from their studies and joining companies that are focused on financial inclusion, we're part of that push and we're optimistic about how that's going to go. And then, of course, to not be siloed and to not be too tribal, to be sharing not just on Twitter and Discord, but to be sharing at conferences and through white papers and blogs and interviews like this, sharing knowledge and experience and being open to collaborating with others. Yeah, I think that's a great point. I mean, that's really the purpose of this. I believe this is the third year we've done Financial Inclusion Month, and we don't do other podcasts during this month. We strictly focus on financial inclusion. And my ultimate goal is giving companies like yours a platform to get their story out so that it can educate others. And hopefully, if it causes one partnership to happen, then I feel like it's a success because I think there's so much that fintech and payments do today, but there's so much more that we could do. And I think you hit the nail on the head. The collaboration, the awareness, the education, I think are all very important to that. I could not agree more. So Ken, we've covered a lot of ground so far. You guys are doing some really amazing things. Is there anything else you'd like to discuss or leave with our audience today? Just a reminder that it's still early. We're maybe in the second inning of the evolution of this technology. And so we can by no means afford to put our feet up, but we should expect there'll be more failures and successes and we can learn from those and build on those. I think it's great. What's the best way for people to learn more about Ripple Impact? The best way for people to learn more about Ripple Impact is probably to go to the ripple.com website where there's some information there about our program areas and to get in touch with us through the website, through email, through LinkedIn, through any of our social media. Well, Ken, it's been a great conversation and I appreciate your time. So thank you so much for being on the show today and sharing all your great insight on this important topic. So again, thank you for your time today. Thank you so much for having me, Greg. I really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you. And to all you listeners out there, I thank you for your time as well. And until the next story. Thank you for joining us this week on the Leaders in Payments podcast. Make sure you visit our website at leadersinpayments.com, where you can subscribe to the show and where you'll find our show notes. If you enjoyed listening, please share on your social channels as well. 